Today, we get to start a brand new series, which I'm very excited about, and that is the book of Daniel, which is my all-time favorite. It's a good name. It is a good name. Um, so we always like to, uh, towards the end of the year, start a new series that will just be a really good encouragement for you guys, especially for you seniors as you head off into college because you're about to go into what the real world and be off on your own and you get to make all the decisions and your parents have no idea. I mean, it's just pressure, right? So we just want to encourage you guys, but also even regardless of that, for all of you, our hope in your time here is that you would be encouraged to make your faith your own and how to live that out. And so we get to start this series today. Um, I remember when I first went to college, um, I came from Lubbock. I grew up in Lubbock, if you know anything about it. It's a pretty like conservative small town, Red Raiders, there you go. And um, so I was a little nervous when I went to UT, uh, mostly because everyone there was telling my parents that I was gonna turn into a hippie because I was going to Austin, which didn't happen. Um, UT was also the number one party school at the time, so I was just a little bit nervous, a little bit like unsure how that was gonna go, and I was not very strong in my faith. Um, I knew I believed and I wanted to follow God, but I also didn't know much past that, and so I was nervous about finding people who, you know, believed the same as me or would live life like me, and so I actually, when I would meet people, I would make sure and ask them if they drank alcohol. So I'd be like, hi, I'm Megan. Also, do you drink? Because, you know, I'm under 21, so we're not supposed to drink. So I was just like slightly ridiculous, guys. I mean, it's, it was important to me, as it should be, to like follow the law. But I, you know, I was acting like that was like the only important factor in finding a friend. Um, so uh, I, I will say, though, I did struggle a little bit to find my place of, you know, how do you make friends and join in groups, but also not compromise my beliefs? Or do you only make Christian friends and then just, you know, uh, you know set aside and not mix, mix with anyone else? I mean, no. So, like, how do you truly live a faithful life and be part of culture, but also not let culture influence you and change your beliefs? And so this is something I think we all struggle with. And this is exactly what Daniel struggles with in this entire book. Um, so Daniel is my all-time favorite book of the Bible. Guys, this book is awesome. I mean, crazy things happen. There's like, there's beasts. There's like invisible hands writing on the wall. There's weird visions and dreams. There's supernatural experiences, near-death experiences. I mean, you can't really say the Bible's boring if you've ever read the book of Daniel. Um, so, I mean, it is crazy. And what is cool is that you see God's sovereignty and his hand in the entire thing and how he reveals himself to different kings and different people. And then you see how Daniel and his friends live this faithful life and how God protects his believers. I mean, it's just a really cool book. And honestly, I would suggest to you guys on like when you go home to read the book of Daniel as you, we're going along on this series on Sundays, and I just think you would get even more out of it. So before we really get into it, though, I want us to go back and I want us to really understand the significance of like the, the context here, because um, we know that Daniel, they've been taken and they're captives in Babylon. And I want us to understand the significance of, of why that's actually important. So first off, 
Um, do you remember back in Exodus, the book of Exodus, when Israel, they were slaves in Egypt, right? And God pulls them out of slavery, and um, he's taking them to the promised land. Well, in the desert on Mount Sinai, he gives them the law, and he makes this covenant promise with them saying, like, I will be your God. And he says, if you follow my words and what I have laid out for you, then things will go well for you. But if you turn your back on me and you follow after other idols and other, other gods, then things are not going to go so well. And so then, years later, they make it to the promised land, and then we have years of king after king come, and most of them turn their back on God and follow after all these other gods that the pagan nations around were worshiping. And so God had warned them, if you don't follow me, then... If you turn your back on me, then something big is going to happen. And so that is what we are seeing here. That big thing is happening, and that's the Babylon, Babylonian exile. So Babylon was the world superpower at the time. They were like the most important country. You know how in world history it just always seems like there's like one mega nation that just kind of comes and takes over at the time, but really only to be taken over by another nation. So that, that's what we see here. It was Assyria before, and now it's Babylon. And then Medo-Persia is going to take over, and then Greece, and then Rome. So you, you recognize Rome from your history, right? So right now it's Babylon is the most powerful country, and they've come, invaded Israel, and then they've even taken people back with them to Babylon. But what's even crazier is if you go even further back, in Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel. Y'all remember that story as a kid? Okay, does anyone remember why God confused their languages? Wait, say that again. Well, they did spread around the world. So, but they confused, he confused their languages. He stopped them. Yes, yes, no, so they weren't following God. So they were making, yes. So they were making their own temple, and it even, or tower, and it even said in it, so that we can make a name for ourselves. So they were saying, like, we're the most important. We're going to make a name for ourselves. Like, who, who cares about God? We're basically our own God, and we're going to make our own tower and be up to heaven, and everyone will know who we are. And so God is like, uh, no, you're not. You will know who God is. And so he confused their languages and scattered them. So this land, that was in the land of Shinar, which is where Babylon is. And so it's the same place. And you'll see the same mentality that Babylon, it still has this idea of I am more important than God. And then in Genesis, if you look at the end of the chapter right after this, um, this is when he calls Abraham. And he pulls Abraham out and says, gives him his promise and says, I'm going to be your God and I'm going to take you to the land of Canaan. Right? So he is actually taking him out of this very land, the land of Shinar. So basically, God had pulled Abraham out of Babylon, and then now we're seeing that Daniel is being brought back to the very place that God had taken Abraham out in the very beginning. So they're coming back to the place they had left. In Daniel 1, 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So as a consequence for Israel turning their back on God, he has allowed them to be taken by Babylon. And it says even, the Lord gave them into their hands. So we're even seeing God's sovereignty even in captivity and suffering here. 
So this is where the book starts. This is where Daniel's journey begins. And then we get to see um, the stories of Daniel and his friends and their time there. Um, the first six chapters of the book are about their account of what happens in Babylon. The last six chapters of the book are more of a prophecy of, of future kingdoms and God's sovereignty and power throughout. So it's really neat because we're going to get to see both, both things here. So we'll start at the beginning of when Daniel first arrives to Babylon. So he gets taken with a group of men to be trained up in the king's court and be some of the king's men. But the king had specific requirements. In verse 3, he says, Bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Wow, that's a long list. Uh, basically, it, he wanted pretty people who were smart and able to work for him. It almost sounds like a dating checklist, you guys. Like, are they pretty? Check. Are they not stupid? Okay, check. Please tell me you have more on your list than that. But it seems like they value youth, beauty, and wealth. Does that sound familiar at all to our society? Maybe. So Daniel was among these men, and it says youth. Does anybody want to guess how old he was? Does anybody know? Yes. So he was around 15. Guys, that's you. Can you imagine at your age right now, being dragged 900 miles on foot, that's like here to Denver, to by yourself to a completely different country, different culture, different language, different beliefs, everything, to this king's household simply because you have the right look. And then now they're going to be trained in the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now, that is not simply that they're going to go and learn a new language. Like, they're not going to Spanish class so that they can maybe order a burrito later. No, this is, like, the king is indoctrinating them into a new way of life so they can become Babylonians. So he's, like, brainwashing them, and he wants them to know and live and breathe the Babylonian way of life and become that in everything, in what they learn, in what they eat, and the gods they worshipped, and everything. So basically, he wants to strip away their Jewish identity and assimilate them into Babylonian culture and turn them into the king's men. And they even gave them different names. So we'll see Daniel and his three friends. And you've heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, right? Daniel, last year at Impact. Okay, those are not their actual names. Those were their um, Babylonian names. Their Jewish names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But they changed it, and then they tried to change Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. So the Jewish names all had to do with God, and they would point to God. So Daniel's name meant God is my judge, and Azariah's name meant Yahweh as helper. But all of these new Babylonian names were all the uh, names that would invoke the help of a pagan god. So um, Abednego means servant of the shining one, and it's talking about one of their gods. So even through their names, they're trying to change their identity to become apart from God. And then the Babylonian culture itself was just the epitome of wealth and overindulgence. Like it was the place you want to go and see. It was like the height of wealth. And so just like we saw with the Tower of Babel, it was the same mentality. They were very prosperous. They would just overindulge in anything, take what you want. 
Um, it was about themselves and what would make them happy. Um, so they put a lot of value on wealth and youth and beauty. And they also did mythic arts and astrology to predict the future, which Daniel was forced to learn. So in Isaiah, it mentions Babylon, and it says this in Isaiah 47. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. So this culture doesn't sound at all familiar to us, right? Like I'm sure none of us can relate to this because we definitely aren't surrounded by a culture that is self-absorbed and places high value in wealth and youth and beauty, right? And we definitely don't see a culture that overindulges in everything and wants the latest and greatest and has all the filters to make your face look perfect. And we also don't live in a culture where they try and push ideals on you even when you know it goes against what God says. Do you see where I'm going here? Are the similarities not kind of terrifying? I mean, we are living in our own Babylon. Daniel's circumstances are not so different. I mean, he may have been forced to learn some of like the mythic stuff, but we are also being indoctrinated every day in our culture, telling us what we should believe, and we're told to define our own truth, and we decide what is right and wrong, and no one can tell us or have authority over us, much less God. And even the mentality that we see in Isaiah, that I am and there is none beside me, I mean, that's the Babylonian mentality, and that's the same mentality that we see here. To each his own. I do what I want. It's my choice. Follow my heart. I'm in charge. No God is going to tell me what to do. Guys, whew, that is dangerous ground to live on. I mean, I think, let's just like take a step back and think about it for a second. Who are we to determine what is right and wrong? I mean, do you really trust everyone to determine and make their own decisions of what they think is truth? Like, are you going to let some, like, serial killer decide what is right and wrong? I mean, we are messy people. So then when we try and make up our own truths about life, that it gets messy. So who am I to decide and let my feelings decide what is right when oftentimes my feelings change day to day, and it's usually based off of how much coffee I've had that day? But don't you think the maker of all creation would maybe know what's better? I mean, he made you in his image, so don't you think he maybe knows what's best for you? So when did we become our own God and put ourselves in charge? I think we can get a little too comfortable with the messages that the world sends us, and we can become engrossed in it without even realizing that we've lost biblical truth. And if you don't think that you're influenced by culture, then you need to think again. The other day on Spotify... I was listening to an artist that I listen to a lot, um, but there's this one song that he sings that I just don't really like. It's not, it's not bad. I just don't like, so I always skip it, and I don't ever listen to it. Well, it came on, and I was busy, and so I didn't realize it, and then halfway through the song, I realized I was singing every single word to the song, and I didn't even notice it. So without even trying or realizing, I knew every single thing that that song was saying, I mean, we take messages from the world that it sends us without even realizing it through social media, through books, through shows, through music. I mean, why is it that I can say, to the left, to the left, everything you own in a box to the left? And if you like it, then you should put a ring on it. I don't even listen to her songs, guys, but I know it. We all know it. 
So we take it in whether you realize it. You actually have to be deliberate and intentional to not be indoctrinated by messages that the world sends. You have to decide, are you gonna influence culture or are you gonna let culture influence you? So the message our culture can send us can sound nice, right? Like there's things in there that they celebrate that sounds like freedom and equality and justice. And there's good aspects in there, right? But sometimes Satan is really good at making half-truths seem like full truths and then masking the lie that's underneath it or not letting us see the full picture. There's a quote from Beth Moore I found that said, there is nothing more dangerous than friendly captivity. So sin disguised as freedom. And that is so true. We'll see it in Daniel. I mean, he has to stick up for his faith time and again, even though he's living in a palace and has the best job that there is in the country. Do y'all remember the movie uh, Pinocchio? Did y'all watch that as a kid? I did not like that movie. That movie creeped me out. It just made me so angry. Maybe because I'm a rule follower, so the whole time I'm like, what are you doing, Pinocchio? Um, so, but I feel like this movie is a pretty good representation of what sin is. Because you see Pinocchio at the beginning, and he's all innocent, and his dad is like trying to prepare him for the real world, you know, real world, and send him off to school. And then temptation comes in the form of this sly fox who's like, hey, if you want to be a real boy, follow me. That is so sketchy, guys. That's like Stranger Danger 101. Who does that? But guess what? Pinocchio gets on the wagon and goes to Pleasure Island. And on Pleasure Island, he's promised that he gets to do whatever he wants. He gets to eat junk food. He gets to smoke cigars. That's in a kid's movie. He gets to throw rocks in windows and literally whatever he wants. And there's no consequences. Only good things are going to happen. But what he doesn't realize is that when they get on the island, they're shutting the gate behind them and locking them onto the island. And then they start turning into donkeys. This is why this movie is so messed up. Then they turn into donkeys. And then what you don't realize, if you check that out, if you can even see it, there are donkeys pulling the wagon. So like at the beginning of the movie, those used to be boys and now they've been enslaved. And so now they are coming back and dragging more people down with them. This is a movie of nightmares. But seriously, this is what, what they think is a fun time. There's actually a lot more going on behind there. And they don't realize it until it's too late and they become enslaved. And so this is, this is what sin is. It lures you in with this promise of freedom that you get to do whatever your heart desires. And there's only going to be good things that come from it because you're following your heart, right? And it feels right. I mean, it looks so appetizing. It feels good in the moment, right? It's almost like the Turkish delight from Chronicles of Narnia. You remember when the witch is offering it to Edmund? And it's so delicious. And then he realizes that it, like, pulls you in and traps you in. And he realizes there was way more to it than just Turkish delight. Um, so, of course, it's enjoyable in the moment. But what we don't realize is how enslaving it can be. So we have to be able to recognize sin for what it is even if it's sugar-coated, and even if it feels great in the moment, we need to be able to look at things with a biblical lens and view the world through God's truth and not this Babylonian mentality of, I will do what I want because what I want in the moment feels right, so that makes it right, right? So we have to be very careful to, to not fall into this mindset. 
So let's go back to Daniel. Within the very first eight verses of the entire book, he's already faced with this choice where he's having to make a decision of how he can be a part of the culture and do his job well, but also not compromise his beliefs. And so we're going to get to see how he keeps his spiritual identity and his values, even when the culture is pushing him to do otherwise. So check out what he did. This is like answer to all your life's issues right here. This is key. Ready? Okay, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. That's it. You're welcome. I'm done. He resolved not to defile himself. That's so easy, right? Yes, I think I'm done here. But notice that he didn't say Daniel hoped for the best. He hoped he survived and maybe didn't get corrupt. You know, he kind of had like a we'll see kind of attitude. Didn't say that. It also didn't say he decided to participate in everything because he's going to show everybody that Christians can be cool too. We're like basically the same. I can do it too, but I'm also a Christian and I'm cool. He didn't say that. He said he resolved that he would not defile himself. And in this case, it happened to be with food. So what does it mean to be resolved? So to be resolved, I have a thing up here, to decide firmly on a course of action. So there is decisiveness, a definitive action or decision on something. There's no wavering, no indecisiveness. You've decided your course you're taking before you're in the situation. So it said he didn't want to defile himself, as in he didn't want to stain his relationship with God by doing what the culture around him was doing. So he looked at it, he saw what was happening, and he decided this was not glorifying to God, and he decided not to participate in it. I mean, it sounds easy, right? In this case, it was with food. So all of the men, they were given food from the king's table. Um, they got to eat and drink everything that the king did, which is kind of cool. That would be a huge privilege that not many people would get. But the problem, though, is that it was probably unclean because for Jewish customs, there are certain foods that they abstained from, like pork, that they would not eat. So it could have been that. There's also a chance that it could have been offered to idols before they ate it. That's also a problem for Daniel. And it could have also been that he wanted to just distinguish his identity from the king as a Jewish person and not overindulge the way the Babylonians would in food. And so it could have been one or all of those reasons. We do know it wasn't because he wanted to be healthy. But it was a matter of faithfulness to God and feeling convicted in his faith. So he asks the chief, who is over them, to not eat it. And he asks with humility, because people can respect humility, even if it's going against the flow. And the guy in charge is like, mm, I don't know, what if the king gets mad? And so this is what Daniel says. He asks him, it says in verse 12, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he just humbly asked and said, let's just try it. And then you can decide if it worked or not. And so the guy says, okay. And then after 10 days, this is what happens. It says, the boys were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So the test worked. And all because of God. Because honestly, if you're over here eating vegetables and this guy's got like a steak and shrimp buffet, you're not going to be fatter in flesh, right? It probably meant he was just, they were healthier. Um, but it worked and God made it a success. Because of Daniel's faithfulness, 
God protected him, and then in this case, even gave him success in it. And it says in verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel and understanding in all visions and dreams, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. So Daniel ended up getting to hold one of the highest positions in the country, like his, almost his whole time that he was there. And because of his unyielding faith in God, God used him and revealed himself to, to kings and people and used God because of, or used Daniel because of Daniel's faith. So the question is, how did Daniel live a faithful life? How was he a part of culture but didn't compromise his beliefs? He was resolved. And so the question we have to ask is, why would we need to be resolved? And how would you even do that? So why would he need to be so determined and decided about his faith beforehand? Well, I hope our description of the Babylonian culture kind of gives a clue on that. Because he was walking into a literal brainwashing academy who were trying to strip away his identity and create him into something else. And they were trying to indoctrinate him. So he had to be decided beforehand. And here's the thing, is Daniel feared God over man. He feared God over man. He trusted in God's authority over creation. He had seen God work. He believed God was the one true God. And because of that, he knew that he needed to follow the design that God had laid out for him, even if it meant going against culture. Now, it was risky for Daniel to do this, to ask to eat separate food, but he decided the risk was worth it. But you know, I mean, he could have been kicked out he could have lost any other job or way of living. He could have, it could have been really dangerous if the king got mad enough. He could have thrown him in jail or killed him. But he decided that his relationship with God was worth it and was more important to him than any external consequences that would have happened because he feared God over man. He believed in God's goodness and he trusted in him over anything else. So it was worth it to him. So if, if he hadn't been firm in his faith before he got to Babylon, that would have been a lot harder for him to, to be there and to know what was right in situations and to know when to participate in things. I think back to my, my college days before I was really strong in my faith, and I would go to frat parties, and I would think, like, oh, well, I can just show them that, like, Christians can have fun and, like, go and party but not drink, and it'll be great right? But no one was coherent enough to know I was even there, and it was boring. And then I was like, why am I even putting myself in this situation that's just really no good things come out of those situations, FYI. And so I realized it later, thankfully, but I was like, there are so many more effective ways that I could have been friends with people and join in without putting myself in those settings. And so I had to learn when it was helpful, when I should say no to things that just weren't helpful to anyone. So deciding beforehand what you believe about God, deciding that you will trust in his good design so you know your path you're going to take before you find yourself in these difficult situations. So the second question is, how did he do it? How did he stay resolved? Well, he did it because his faith was rooted in God, and he let God define him and not the culture. So to do that, I think we need, that means we have to set our minds on God. So I love the Romans 12, 2 verse. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So in other words, what it's saying, if you don't want to be conformed to this world, you need to renew your mind. As in, have your mind set on the things of God. So filling your mind with God's word or watching and consuming things that are honoring to God, setting our focus on God in all areas of our life, that is what is transforming to us. Because then, how will you know truth, what is good and acceptable and perfect, if you aren't taking in the truth and you're only listening to lies? So if you are resolved in your faith, then you know you're going to choose to honor God in your actions instead of fearing what others think. And so Daniel knew he wanted to honor God and so while he was living there. And so his decision was already made. He just had to follow through with it. And he was able to because his mind was set on God. He was spending time with God, so it was clear then what would be honoring to God. I love what the Gospel Project says about Daniel and his friends. He, it says, They could resist the pressures and temptation because they lived in Babylon without Babylon living in them. Their hearts were full of God's word and their love and devotion to him. It's hard to tempt a person with junk food when they're already full of good food. As we allow God's Holy Spirit to fill us with God's word, love, joy, and plans, we can live in the world but not be of this world. We'll be faithful to God when we're full of God. I love that. We will be faithful to God when we're full of God. You know, I mentioned knowing all the lines of the songs that I don't even listen to, but I know all the words. But can I break out and recite an entire chapter of Philippians? I cannot. I know some verses. But I can't just, like, break out the whole chapter. Does, does my head get, do I, like, get God's words stuck in my head like I do some of my favorite Taylor Swift songs? I do not. Ouch. And so that makes, convicts me because then I think, what am I filling my mind with? Am I renewing my mind with God's word? Am I letting God's truth influence my beliefs? Because even if you think, oh, I, I just watch it, but I'm not actually going to, like, do that, you know? But isn't that also still being a part of the world because then we're still consuming all the stuff and we're buying into the messages and, and, and supporting it? I, I don't know. I'm not saying that all secular shows and songs are bad. That's not what I'm saying. There's a really hard balance to find. But I do want you to consider that we are surrounded by the voice of the world and the culture trying to teach us different things, basically trying to indoctrinate us and tell us how we should live our life. And we need to be able to recognize it and compare it to God's truth, which means you need to know God's truth because we're going to lose our identity if you're not resolved to follow after God. So how do you follow through? Have you spent time with God? Have you been reading his word? Colossians 3.1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth. So our focus, our minds, our choices, they should be set on things that are honoring to God. So we should choose to do things that are honoring to him and seek to spend time with him. Because the more you know him, the more you're going to be transformed into his image and therefore have wisdom to know what to do in situations. 1 John 2.15. I loved the whole paragraph, so I had to put the whole thing. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions, 
is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And again, it's okay to appreciate the art of entertainment and music, but we also need to be aware of the messages that they're sending and maybe discerning of when it's best to step back and best not to participate, just like Daniel did. So we should also really consider where, where is our heart, where is our devotion, what a, where is our love that we're putting towards. We also have to be careful not to base our decisions solely on our feelings. I think too often we can decide whether or not to do something based off like if it feels right, you know. But our feelings can be deceitful, guys. It's great to have all the feels, and it's unhealthy to hold your emotions back and not be honest how you're feeling, right? That's not what I'm talking about here, though. What I'm saying is when our emotions get high and we get torn about whether or not we should do something, we need to take a step back and remember what you know to be true about God. In the book of James, he talks about temptation, and he says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So it's that Turkish delight that just looks so appetizing. It may seem and feel so right in the moment, but it may not necessarily be true. Because we all know feelings complicate things, right? If you have lived any life, we all know our feelings can get in the way in relationships, in friendships, even just being present at school, even trying to finish the game well. Our emotions and our feelings can make things complicated, and it makes it challenging at times. James, or Jesus said in Matthew, do you all remember this verse? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind your mind. So emotions change, but the truth of God remains the same forever. So when it feels unfair that we have to protect our mind from what we watch, or when it feels unfair that we have to take measures to be respectful of boundaries and relationships, or when it feels unfair that God has asked us to have sexual integrity in all areas of our life because he's deemed it so valuable, it should be held with respect. When it feels unfair, that doesn't necessarily mean it is or that it's wrong. We just may not understand the importance or the value of it. And we may not understand that living outside of God's design is actually harmful to us. So it goes back to that Romans verse about renewing our mind. Our heart and our emotions can tell us many things, but oftentimes you need to take a step back and think, what do I know to be true about God? What does God say I am? What is God's truth and his, his desire for me? And how have I seen him prove time and again that he is a loving and trustworthy father? So you have a decision to make, like Daniel. Are you gonna, is your faith in God worth it? Are you gonna choose to trust God in his goodness and, and follow him despite the culture pulling us a thousand different directions? This story isn't just a Hebrew, a Hebrew boy trying to survive in a pagan culture. This is about Daniel's faith in the midst of a culture that pretends to be friendly, all the while trying to, to conform him to his beliefs, their beliefs. So our culture can make living out faith in the Lord challenging and almost seemingly impossible at times if you disagree. But if we're resolved to follow God and set our minds on things of him, then that's when we find the truest freedom and joy in living in God's design and purpose for our lives. That's, and God will make a way for us to do that. 
God knew exactly what he was doing when he created you and gave you the gifts that you have, the, the interests that you have, the things that you love. Like, he knew it. And so we should be resolved to use our gifts and our bodies as a way to glorify him and this greater purpose that he has designed for us. I'm going to pray, and we can break off. Lord, we just thank you so much uh, just for s- stories like this, Lord that we can see that we're not alone when it's difficult to make the choice to follow you. Lord, that we all deal with it, God, because we know that faith in you is worth it. Even when we're not worthy, we know it is worth following you, Lord, because you have proven yourself, you have shown through your son just how much you love us. And I pray that we can um, be resolved to set our mind on you and to follow you even when things get challenging. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Y'all can break off into your groups, guys.